Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911, two man car, Jess Romero Paul. Jess Romero, Eddie Chavez. What's going on, Eddie? How are you, my friend? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we'll key in with Eddie right now. We, uh, I see him, but we just don't hear him. A couple things I want to remind you about. Uh, remember, that's it's the. This is the month of January. The month of January is dedicated to the holy name of Jesus, and this is celebrated this month. The holy name of Jesus. Try to find any reason to say the name of Jesus with faith and hope and love. And as Catholics, let's not forget that uh, these are called arrow prayers or ejaculation prayers. Hey, I want to. We got spiritual warfare questions every single week. People email us some good, thoughtful questions. We got a good one this week, and then we'll get into our training, our liver crystal uh, method of healing and deliverance. And today we're going to be talking about how to remove generational spirits. That's what we're going to be talking about, second, third, and fourth segments. How to remove generational spirits. So, here's the question. Somebody asked, Eddie, are you there? Did I hear Eddie? No. Somebody asked, I have a question about whether St. Catherine of Siena's authority uh, to cast out demons, where it came from. So the person asked, St. Catherine of Siena had several interactions with possessed people. And she used prayers of command to get them to flee and stay put until she could deal with them. From her biography by Blessed Raymond of Capua, when talking to Friar Santi, who was ill with a plague, she said, quote, as so St. Catherine said, quote, I command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ not to die. Close quote. Though in that instance she was not commanding demons, she was commanding someone she had no authority over. However, when St. Catherine was praying for Lorenza, here's what it says on page 221. It says, She commanding the evil spirit in the name of, in the, name of the Savior to be off. Close quote. And when praying for the servant of, it says, Mona she commanding the evil spirit in the, China, of, in the name of the it Savior says, quote, to be off. Close quote. It says here. And when praying for the servant of, it says, Mona she commanding the evil spirit in the China, name of I hear, I hear, uh, quote, to be off. Close a, quote. A feedback. It says here. And when praying yeah. for the servant of, it says, no, my mic, the evil my mic is off. I hear, I hear, uh, quote, be off. Close okay. Quote. All right, there we go. For the servant. Okay. Well, let's do this again. Eddie, can you hear me? I hear, I hear. Okay. All right, let's uh, pick it up where we left off. Okay. So there's an email question. Somebody asked about St. Catherine of Siena. And her authority to cast out evil spirits. Where did that authority come from? And St. Catherine also 
she prayed over somebody who was who had no relation to her and she, and she uh prayed for this person and this person was immediately healed so so i guess the the question is if saint catherine has no natural law authority and no divine positive law authority how was it that she could pray over people and they would get healed how was it that saint catherine in at least three instances in this book this is the biography uh by blessed raymond of capua how was it that she was able to drive evil spirits out of people and it's documented in this book that's a great question so let me answer first of all i have not read saint catherine's diary by blessed raymond of capua so i'm going to trust that those are actual quotes from the book so let me answer the question why does saint catherine have the power to pray with such efficacy in in that manner and pray uh healing prayers over somebody and pray over possessed people and drive evil spirits out why did she have that such why did she have that type of power and that type of efficacy in her prayer well i would argue that saint catherine of siena was not your typical catholic i think you're going to agree you're going to agree with me on that here's a couple of points i would make about saint catherine of siena and why she she was able to pray and people would be healed and she was able to pray over possessed people and she would drive demons out. First of all, St. Catherine of Siena is a saint. Okay? And the person who's asking this question, you and me aren't saints. She's a saint. And not only is she a saint, but she's a doctor of the church. And by the way, there's only 37 or 38 doctors of the church. And that's not somebody who went to go get a liberal degree from some Catholic university. No. So that puts uh, St. Catherine in a league above any other lay Catholic, as far as I'm concerned. To compare her interior life and spiritual life to mine or to yours is to compare apples to oranges. Number two, she was also a consecrated virgin, and we know that demons fear the prayers of a virgin. Especially the blessed virgin. Number three. God the Father spoke to St. Catherine in a locution. It's documented in a book called The Dialogues. God the Father doesn't speak to most people, so this makes St. Catherine, it sets her apart. Number four. St. Catherine, she also prayed in the presence of her dead mother, who then came back to life. <clears throat> now, most of us, We've prayed before our dead mother and uh, our moms remain dead because we're not saints and we're not doctors of the church. Number five, God gave her special insight into the world of demons. And that's in the Dialogues chapter 24. Number six, because of St. Catherine's extreme holiness, her prayers had gravitas. It had weight. They were weighty. Just like Elijah in the Old Testament, his prayers were weighty because of his holiness, of his closeness to God. And we see the way Elijah's prayers are even given as an example of 
of prayers with great weight in James chapter 5, verse 16. And finally, I would say the reason St. Catherine's prayers are so effective is because the efficacy in her prayers indicated that she had charismatic graces, which are, which are given by God to some in order to build up the body of Christ. Yeah, God gives some people charismatic graces, some. And it's for these seven reasons, I believe God used her, uh, God used St. Catherine to drive out demons. <clears throat> Personally, I'm not even close to possessing any of these seven different distinguishing points that were evident in the life of St. Catherine of Siena. So we can't use the life of a super saint like St. Catherine and make it normative Catholic teaching for all the lady to follow and expect to do as she did. Remember, Peter walked on water. None of us will ever be able to do that. Peter's shadow fell upon the sick and they were healed and delivered from demons. That's, most of us, our shadow's not going to drive demons out of anybody that it falls upon. So the point that I'm making is that we can't use the exceptional actions in the lives of these saints and consider this normative mainstream Catholicism that can be replicated by any lay Catholic. Most of us will just live quiet, normal human lives without any fanfare, pomp, and never perform any miracles, nor have God speak to us through a locution. <clears throat> Dr. Schneider, he weighs in on this. He says, uh, he says, Pope Benedict once warned of a false archaeologism where someone goes back in the history as if in an archaeological dig and pulls out something obscure and builds an entire system around it. You cannot take isolated events like the, like the event of St. Catherine of Siena uh, and, 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 absolute, and absolutize it. And absolutize it. Her story and the stories of other saints and, and the gospel stories, they must be read within the whole analogy of faith and within the living tradition of the Catholic Church. We see this also with married saints. There are a handful of, of married couples who separated their marriage to join the monastery. This is the exception and not the norm. But many people today will claim that that charism as an excuse to abandon their vocation in pursuit of something they get delight in the apostolate. Eddie, any comments? Yeah, Jesse, you there? I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. No, listen, just as you're explaining this, and it's a great answer to a good question. Uh, just as I'm as I'm uh, pondering this, I'm thinking, you know, in, in God, in His omnipresence, and in, in His uh, omniscience, He knows everything. He knows that a particular saint is going to react to the graces that He's giving. Therefore, you know, when He uh, is able to give give people their uh, uh, extraordinary graces like this, we shouldn't question and and think to ourselves, how can somebody like this? Uh, uh, Hold that thought, Eddie. Hold that thought. I want to hear from you. Hold that thought. Yep. We'll be back. We'll pick it up. Jesus 911. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, 
Dial 888-526-2151. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Now, back to Jesus 911. Oh no, we got it. There it goes. We're back. Hey, Eddie, uh, the long and the short of it, this caller asked a question. I want you to continue what you were saying. He asked the question, look at St. Catherine of Siena drove demons out of people and laid hands on people and healed some people. She was uh, a lay person. She, and, and so if she can do it, why can't other lay people? That's pretty much the question that's being asked. Go ahead. Isn't it funny, Jess, that some people think, well, those people are not playing by the rules. Well, listen, the person that makes the rules is God Almighty. So, you know, in his uh, omniscience, Jess, and his omnipresence, and uh, all all these things that God is uh, is and we are not, he has the ability to know that this, this person will react Will will handle the grace, the extraordinary graces he's giving them, and therefore um, he doesn't have to play by the rules. Just if he wants to give Saint Catherine of Siena the ability to drive demons out, then guess what? She's going to have the ability to drive demons out. You know, this, these saints just have been uh, have endured a, a process by which they're they're uh, you know they're they're, they're uh, venerable, they're uh, blessed, they're. Uh, 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 all these steps before canonization, they their whole life has endured this process which the church has given us, and therefore they have the ability to to uh, uh, to react and do things in that way. So uh, I'm not I'm not shocked by it, Jess. I, I just see it as another uh, a beautiful part of our faith that we have to adhere to. We have to understand it. Yeah, and that's the point that I made earlier on. I said, and it's even in the Bible. Some people notice the word, not all. Okay. It's not like you go to an arena in downtown Los Angeles and 5,000 people have the gift, okay? The Bible says some people have some gifts in order to build up the body of Christ. So St. Catherine of Siena obviously had the charismatic grace of, uh, of, of praying over people and healing them. But again, we, I can't compare my life with hers. Most people can't. This woman was a head and shoulders above most people. But I also think that most people, we they've never examined. She also suffered a lot, Eddie. Uh, right. There's, yeah, there's also another article that I read where, uh, where she suffered diabolical affliction. She was attacked ferociously, but, and especially towards the end of her life. So though she may have had the gift of healing, though she may have had the gift of driving demons out, she also, you know, suffered from her own uh, demons at the end of her life. Uh, you can, there's an, there's an article called uh, St. Catherine of Siena's Death, churchpop.com. And the article talks about the way she suffered gravely, especially towards the end of her life uh, by diabolic attacks. So again, even somebody as holy as she was that was able to drive out demons and lay, you know, pray over people and, and heal them uh, at the end of her life, uh, you know, she had, she was visited by by demons, and she had to do battle with them before she died. 
Yeah, Jason, that's something we have to realize is that unless we're willing to accept that suffering, and this is suffering at the end of her life, Jess, this was demons hoping that she would give in to their temptations, and, and she held fast, Jess. So so that's what I'm saying. Unless we're willing to, to accept the uh, the sufferings that God will give us uh, at that point, then we shouldn't be uh, jealous or wondering why she's given graces that she followed during her life, because that's that's what counted what she did during her life. That's why she's a saint. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Father Ripperger, he, he actually weighed in on this email. He said, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas actually addresses this when he talks about certain saints commanding the demons to do things which are not in the normal line of things. Like, that's what you just said, Eddie. He says it right. proceeds from a divine inspiration. So, uh, and, and the last no, thing that I would, uh, yeah, the last thing that I would say is uh, a, a, a lot of people, and I've seen it in our church, especially Eddie in the, in the charismatic renewal, particularly women. D- Dr. Dan Schneider writes this. He says, many people today claim that that charism, that gift of healing, as an excuse to abandon vocation in pursuit of something, they get delight in the apostolate. He writes, right. many in the charismatic renewal, particularly women, do this very thing. They neglect their vocation in pursuit of the excitement of the apostolate, particularly in driving out demons. What's amazing to me is that learned scholars lose sight of Catholic doctrine and the unity between Scripture and tradition. They go to St. Thomas or, or, to the church, or into the history of the church and pull out something in a way, not unlike the not unlike the proof text scripture, scripture, tradition, and dogma all need to read to be read within the analogy of faith. The cohesiveness of Christian belief and practice has developed in the living tradition. So here's two things that Dan just said right there. Just like Protestants, they cherry pick Bible verses. Dan is saying a lot of Catholics they cherry pick stories of the saints. They'll say, "Oh, well, Saint Catherine of Siena drove out demons, so I can drive out demons." I'm going to set up a Wednesday deliverance ministry in, in the basement of the church, and I'm going to drive out demons on Wednesday at, at uh, you know, St. Rose of Lima Parish. I've got the gift, just just like St. Catherine. I have that same gift. Okay. Then the second thing Dan mentions there, and I've seen this also in the last 30 or 40 years, he says that most of these apostolates of, of de- healing and deliverance are basically run by women, generally speaking, or top-heavy with women. <clears throat> and And what Dan is saying there is that the women, and I've seen this, they abandon, I mean, all these names come to my mind right now, they abandon their, voc- their, their primary vocation of marriage and family life uh, to be known as the uh, Catholic charismatic healer in, uh, you know, in the San Fernando Valley region. Uh, and, and so people know them, when they say, oh, yeah, Jane Doe, yeah, she's the charismatic healer over in the San Fernando Valley region. Just go to her. She'll lay hands on you and you'll get healed. But nobody identifies her anymore as the wife of, as, as, the, as the mother of, as the grandmother of. Right. Their, their whole world now is, is uh, their identification is uh, that's the lady that lays hands on you and heals you on Tuesdays over at, uh, you know, St. Finbar or something. And so that's what Dan's talking about, is that that's the danger is that many women, especially in the charismatic renewal, they abandon their their or neglect their vocation in pursuit of the excitement of 
having been on the cutting edge of some apostolate because I've got that same gift that St. Catherine of Siena does. And that's plain dangerous because the Baltimore Catechism tells us what does God expect from every Catholic man and every Catholic woman? What does he expect? He expects us to be, to be holy according to our state in life. Be holy yep. according to your vocation and state in life. Justin, you know, we, we should enjoy the ministry that we're in. Of course, we should enjoy it. But if you're getting that kind of delight out of it that you just explained, uh, that's when you should reconsider what you're doing. Because, you know, uh, the whole service to the church ultimately has to, be, has to include suffering, uh, stuff that I don't like. You know, in my ministry just last night, I got a text from, from somebody that didn't like the, uh, 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 the things that I was suggesting uh, for her daughter to do. And, you know, Jess, um, that's not very enjoyable. You know, I got to tell the priest that and everything. So, I mean, uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, you have to reexamine. We have to be dedicated to our state in life, like you said. And if it's uh, being uh, somebody's wife, being somebody's husband, somebody's father— somebody's uh, brother that's that's what we have to pursue is is doing that to the best that we uh, to the best of our ability that's what, that's what we have to do that's right hey let's move on now Eddie to a, a big topic prayer to remove generational spirits this is a huge topic uh it's on page 86 of Dr. Dan Schneider's book he says if you've participated in any occult activities a sacramental confession is vital to gaining freedom. The ultimate antidote against the occult, says Kyle Clement, is the practice of authentic Catholicism. The ordinary means of the sanctification of the soul to counteract any unholy desire for the occult includes attending Mass, Christian prayer, rosary, and reading the Bible. These help to counteract any unholy desire for the occult. That desire often flows from the avoidance of suffering or the desire for power. These actions also atone for the sins of participating in such activity. In addition to sacramental confession, one should pray the renunciation prayers found in the appendix of this book. Father Ripperger encourages Catholics to seek the assistance of Our Lady of Sorrows in uncovering the nature of a generational spirit and how they may have entered the generational line. That's, that's, in other words, that's your family line. This, this aids in praying specific binding prayers against them and in developing the virtues to combat them. It's also, it's also salutary to have masses offered in reparation for any sin that may be the cause of the generational spirit, as well as the healing of the members who may still suffer the effects of the evil spirit and for the repose of any souls in purgatory that may still be there as a result of sins they committed at the behest of the evil spirit. So Dan has the prayer, and I'll have Eddie read the prayer. This is a prayer that uh, somebody that believes that they're dealing with generational spirits in their family, they should pray this prayer. And again, I, I tell people to get this prayer, make sure you're in a state of grace. I Take this prayer, I say, go into the church, pray it into the, inside the church. Or in an adoration chapel. And then I just tell them, pray the prayer three times in honor of the Trinity in front of the, the, uh, the Blessed Sacrament. And then I would even do it if you really want to get a lot, some, my, some traction out of this. Uh, I would do this prayer 
for three days straight. Okay? Just a, a tritium. I would do it for three days in honor of the Trinity, and I would do it three times, and I would do it in front of the Blessed Sacrament to break any generational spirits that are afflicting me, my wife, or my children. Eddie, how does the prayer go? Uh, yeah, just and it's important for people to understand the, the, the connection to three, because when people uh, and, and, and you know invite curses into their family line, either knowingly or unknowingly. This is what they do. They do it three times, and that's why we're doing it three times to oppose it. But this is how the prayer goes, Jess. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, incarnate Son of God the Father, Thou who has chosen to enter into human history by being carried in the womb of the Blessed Mother Mary, grant, I beseech Thee, that any demons that, might, that may have been introduced into my generational line uh, by any one of my ancestors may be blocked from passing to the subsequent generations. I ask thee that if the uh, that if the evil spirit entered the generation line by the sin of one or more of my ancestors, that thou would that thou wouldst pardon the temporal punishment due to their sin and free us from the demons' involvement in our lives. Hold that thought. Hold it right there. Okay. Hold it right there. Go ahead. We'll be back. Jesus nine one one. Stick around. Eddie's sharing with us how to the prayer, how to break generational sin. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car. We're talking about how to remove a generational spirit. Uh, and again, this is the, the power of prayer and the power of faith. Let's not forget that our faith is like a shield. That's what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, your faith is like a shield. And it also says that the word of God is like the sword of the spirit. So notice God has given us a defensive weapon, a shield, and an offensive weapon, prayer, which is called the sword of the spirit. Eddie, can you continue with that prayer, how to remove a generational sin? And how many times should they pray for how many days? Yeah, Jess, you know, your suggestion, and I think is a valid one, is that, that they need to pray three times. Three times uh, the, the prayer, you, you could do it, uh, uh, obviously, at the end of the uh, Lady of Sorrows, uh, 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 the uh, Lady of novena. Sorrows, uh, Novena. Yeah, and then, and then uh, uh, because that's how the people, in, in, you know, call the, the, uh, these uh, curses upon us, they do it three times. But anyway, the prayer goes as such. It says, Blessed Virgin, uh, we ask thee to offer the precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of thy Son to God the Father in reparation for the sins of those ancestors who may have introduced any evil spirits into my generational line, as well as any subsequent sins that, we, uh, that may have resulted from the evil spirits affecting those of the generational line. If any evil spirit has been introduced into my generational line, as a result of a curse or malefice done by someone outside my family, I ask thee to give me the grace to forgive wholeheartedly. And I ask thee, Jesus, to break the curse or malefice if it is still in place. God the Father, I forgive them for any of the effects their sin that may have committed against my family line. 
and for any damage it, if it may have caused. Jesus, I ask thee to forgive me of any sins that may be the result of my generational spirits in my family. And I ask thee to block any power of the evil spirits that have gained in my generational line as a result of my own sin. Heal any damage in the lives of the members of my family as a result of the generational spirit. I bind and completely and utterly reject with the full force of my will any sin or spiritual defect of mine as well as any temptation, allurements, or power that any generational spirit may have over me as a result of my sin or the sin of any person. I do this in the holy name of Jesus and Mary, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And more specific prayers are found in the appendix of the book that we were talking about, Jess. Yeah. And so, yeah, go ahead, Jess. You can hang up your phone. Uh, yeah, you, we can oh, hear okay. you on your mic. Yeah. Okay, uh, got it. Yeah. And, and, see, and see, the beauty of these prayers, Eddie, I'll tell you the difference of, about these prayers. They're very specific. Notice that? And that's what God wants. God wants specificity in prayer. How do we know that? Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and you shall receive. Okay? So the, one of the reasons why spiritual warfare prayers are very, are very effective, efficacious, is because you're, very, you're being very specific with what you're asking God. Here's a couple of questions at the end of the chapter. It says, did you experience any interior resistance such as anxiety or something you just did not like when reading any part of this lesson? Okay. In other words, was there some pushback? The second thing, number two, explain the connection between the Psalms that state, quote, the gods of the nations are idols, Psalm 96 verse 5, and the concept of interactive demonic activity. Okay. Well, the short answer to that is that poly, religions that have polytheism, many gods like Hinduism, uh, many other religions that have, um, you know, African religions that have many gods, the Aztecs, those gods, the Bible is very clear. They, uh, those gods, lowercase g, they're demons. And, and how do you become interactive with those d demonic entities? You do so by, by the rituals that you participate in. The rituals of the occult, the rituals of witchcraft, and the rituals of pagan religion. The third question is, have you been involved in any occult practice and have you, have you confessed this activity? Eddie, I think that's where a lot of people get stuck in the mud. A lot of people, a lot of Catholics, have dabbled in the occult and guess what? They don't confess it or they're too embarrassed to confess it. Comments? Eddie. Can Eddie hear me? No, Eddie can't hear me. Number four. Recall the statement, the activities performed through, the, through occult practices to obtain favors or discover the future deeply offend God, not only because it reveals our lack of trust in Him, but also because such activities are a recourse to Satan or demons. What in your past caused you to exhibit a lack of trust in God which may have resulted in occult activity. So again, that's another sin that a lot of people have to confess is uh, first commandment. Uh, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I have not trusted God. 
And what's an example of not trusting in God? Whenever you get involved in superstitious and occult activities, that's a failure to trust God as Father to meet your needs. And finally, number five, have you identified any generational sins affecting your family? If so, what are the best means to root them out? Eddie, you have any comments? I don't think Eddie can hear me. So, I'll make it very simple. Father Ripperger says that the way you get to know what generational spirits your family is dealing with or that you may be dealing with that may be vexing you, annoying you, attacking you, tormenting you. You pray for nine... You should be praying the rosary every day. So that goes without saying. So I'm, that, that's, that's something that every Catholic should, should be doing. With, it goes without saying. Every single Catholic should be praying the daily rosary for the rest of their life. Period. No excuses. Now, to get particular insight into what demon is afflicting you, what you would want to do is pray a novena to Our Lady of Sorrows. A novena is a nine days of prayer, just like in the book of Acts chapter 1, where it shows that the Blessed Virgin Mary and the apostles, they prayed for nine days straight. And on the 10th day, the gift of the Holy Spirit came upon them powerfully. So that's where the Catholic tradition comes from, praying nine days. It comes from the book of Acts when you pray to Our Lady of Sorrows, because Our Lady of Sorrows, specifically under that title, has been given power and authority by God to reveal to you, to reveal to you, to reveal what generational spirits you're dealing with or are affecting you and what generational spirits are affecting or afflicting your family. Under the title of Our Lady of Sorrows, because in John chapter 19, verses 25 to 26, she received, Our Lady received from God the Trinity, she received the, that full measure of grace to be able uh, to lay open the hearts of many and to reveal to you, to reveal to the human heart of every single person that comes to her under that title, Our Lady of Sorrows, she will reveal to you that evil spirit that you're dealing with or your family is dealing with. And she will also reveal to you as you pray the nine days to Our Lady of Sorrows, she'll reveal to you what are the things that you need to do to shore this up and to eradicate this and to defeat this from attacking your family. So now we move over to where Dr. Schneider writes about repentance, metanoia, and forgiveness. This is a powerful component. For somebody to be healed. The Bible says in the book of Sirach. It says. Sirach chapter 47 verse 4. As a youth. David slew the giant. And wiped out the people's disgrace. His hand let fly the sling. The sling. The sling stone. That shattered. The pride. Of Goliath. Hmm. Earlier. We explained. That five symbolize the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, or the law. A Christian lens also recognizes the number five as an allusion to the five wounds of Jesus Christ. And you should also recall the words of Isaiah the prophet that foretold the suffering of Christ 
In Isaiah 53, verse 5, where Isaiah the prophet writes, He, speaking about Jesus, was pierced for our sins, crushed for crushed for our iniquities by his wounds we were healed. Eddie, are you back? Jess, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Yeah, we're on uh, page 89. We're moving into repentance, metanoia, and forgiveness. And Eddie, this is a big issue here. You see this all the time. The people that come for help because they're diabolically afflicted, here's a couple things that I noticed about them for the last 20 years, and you've probably seen the same thing. Is that they have they're, they're cultural Catholics, they're, they're lukewarm Catholics, they're at best Sunday Catholics. A lot of them are just Easter, uh, you know, Christmas, uh, you know, Ash Wednesday Catholics. They haven't gone, they haven't really repented for their sins. They a lot of them have done a lot of things that are fundamentally wrong, and they haven't like they haven't had a, a genuine repentance, especially in the sacrament of confession for those sins. And they haven't had a metanoia. They haven't had a conversion of, of heart. They haven't had this, this, this interior conversion that the catechism speaks about where they surrendered their life and their heart to Jesus Christ. They haven't done that. And then also, in that chapter that Dan talks about, they have unforgiveness. There are people in their life that they cannot stand, and they'll tell you when you ask them during like an intake, you can you you can talk to them and they say, "Oh, I hate this person. Oh, I hate my mother-in-law. I hate my brother-in-law. I hate my sister." I mean, and they say it like that. Their their face even wrinkles when they when they talk about it. And you're looking at them. You're saying, "Wow!" And this person wants to be healed by Jesus Christ. Give me a break. And <laughs> yeah, we'll pick it up. I want to hear from you next. Jesus nine one one. We'll talk about repentance, metanoia, and forgiveness next. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 9-1-1. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car, Eddie, we're on chapter two, where Dr. Schneider talks about repentance, metanoia, and forgiveness. You have any thoughts on how important this is for somebody to be healed from diabolical affliction? Yeah, Jesse, you mentioned a lot of people come come to us for different reasons, but uh, similarly, a lot of them come uh, to us without having, you know, without any knowledge of the faith. Uh, that's not in itself uh, something that's 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 wrong necessarily, but uh, you know what? When you don't know the fact that you need to forgive people, that you need to repent for your sins, just this is a this is a difficulty in that they come here thinking that, and um, the reality is such is that this you know, and I heard you mention too that there was a I want to mention real quick to you. There's five uh, five uh, uh, the wounds of Christ. One of the beautiful things of the church is that. Uh, when a bishop dedicates a Catholic church, and, and he, he's up there, and they're at the altar, and he's using chrism oil. And with the chrism oil, the, uh, the, the, uh, the bishop is going to rub into five areas of the altar table, the four corners and the center, and that, those five uh, areas that he's going to uh, rub and, 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 and trace with the chrism oil are actually uh, the, the wounds of Christ. They represent the wounds of Christ, 
And, and that's the reason, Jesse, that the, the priests, when they come into church, every time they come into church to celebrate Mass, they'll kiss the altar because mm-hmm. they're kissing the center of the altar at, where later the sacrifice, the, 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 the Paschal sacrifice, will be represented during Mass. So that's one thing I wanted to touch uh, before we have any further problems with the with the sound, but yeah, I just uh, that's that's the beauty of it, I think, you know. And and plus, you just mentioned exactly what that that text uh, was uh, was sent to me is that uh, this individual is not forgiving people, and they're reminding me all the time what a good person they are. So that that kind of proves what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Terry. Uh, it, it, I mean, Eddie, and that's called if you look at like a big manual on moral theology. Uh, one of the sins that a lot of people don't confess, and you just said it right now, it's there's a sin in moral theology it's called self-justification. How many times have people ever said, Father, my you know, my last confession was so long ago and these are my sins. Father, I, I'm guilty of the sin of self-justification. That's the sin where in your mind you're always justifying your actions. Okay? And most people they don't they just completely block that out. You know what I'm saying? They 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 live comfortably with mortal sin, and they justify it in their mind. Well, everybody else is doing it. You know, I guess it's not wrong. I mean, come on, everybody else is doing it. Get with the times. So uh, yeah, that's exactly right, Jess. That's exactly right. Yep. So let's uh, let's at least get this first paragraph in, uh, where Doctor Steiner talks about. He says, uh, "I'm half was well, halfway through it," where he talks about. Isaiah 53, verse 5, He was pierced for our sins, crushed for our iniquities. By His wounds we were healed. Isaiah 53, verse 5. The Greek word for pierce is tramizo, tramizo, which means to wound, hurt, or damage. Interestingly, the noun traumatize was also a military term in antiquity which referred to those wounded in battle. Considering the above discussion on the modern mission of trauma, It is noteworthy here that the suffering of Jesus Christ, the trauma of violence done against his sacred flesh, was perfectly accepted and made redemptive for all humanity. After his resurrection, he never again mentions his suffering, but only pointed to the five wounds, his hands, feet, and pierced side, as evidence of his love for us so that we may believe in John chapter 20, verse 27 to 29, when he appeared uh, in the upper room to, to all the apostles. Thus, the the cross of Jesus Christ, where he received his five wounds, is not a sign of defeat, but rather a victory. By his wounds, we are healed and defeat the enemy. This is why many of the early church fathers refer to the cross as a war memorial. St. John Chrysostom exclaims, Have you seen the wonderful victory? Have you seen the splendid deeds of the cross? Shall I tell you something still more marvelous? Learn in what way the victory was gained, and you will be even more astonished. For by the very means by which the devil had conquered, by these Christ conquered him, and taking up the weapons with with which he had fought, he defeated him. Close quote. I like the fact that Christ, uh, um, Saint Paul. I mean Saint John Chrysostom calls across a war memorial. In other words, that's where... Here's the way I heard Dr. Peter Kreef explain it. He says, in the first garden, the first Adam was defeated. In the second garden, 
was the rematch and the second Adam defeated the dragon in the second garden at the rematch. That's any comments? Yeah, Jess, I mean, this is one of the many times you've mentioned this before, and I'm going to say it again. This is why Dan's book, uh, you know, this field manual for spiritual combat, this is why it appeals to men, specifically men that are in law enforcement or, or ex-military guys or current military guys, is because everything has to do with connecting it to something that they've lived through. They've, they've been in war. They've been in battle. We've been in, in situations just where, where we're not, Gonna, we're not certain of the outcome, but with this particular one, we are certain of the outcome, and this is this yeah. is this is what we're talking about. You know, Jesus wins. The end. The end. Uh, uh, the end uh, chapters of the book tell us we win. So that that's what it is. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else that's very that's very interesting about why the cross is a war memorial, and a lot of people they they miss it. Eddie, do you remember the movie The Passion of the Christ, where when Jesus Christ when he breathes his last and he breathes his spirit and, and he lets go of his spirit, the way the cameras just turned to the devil and the devil started screaming. He was like, the devil was like in some pit. And as Jesus dies, the devil's screaming. So in 2004, when I watched it, I asked myself in my mind, so why is the devil screaming? Why is he mad? Because Jesus died. Isn't that what he wanted? Isn't, isn't he the one that inspired and colluded with the Romans and the Jews to kill Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Why is he so mad right now? There is one Bible verse that, that explains why the cross is a war memorial. It's in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. But especially verse 15, since we're running out of time, maybe we'll do this next week. We'll do the whole thing on it because it's worth doing it. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, quote, He, he meaning Jesus, disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. Triumphing over them in him. Okay, so what does this mean? Verse 15, hmm, what does this mean? Okay, so St. Paul is saying that Jesus on the cross, what he's saying is he disarmed the principalities and powers. Who are those demons? Oh, wait a minute. How did Jesus disarm them if he's hanging on the cross? How did he disarm demons and, and, and uh, on the cross? It says it here. And made a pub public example of them, triumphing over them. Okay, let's remember. When Jesus Christ died, it was only his body that died. Okay? He's God. His spirit, a, the spirit, a spirit cannot die. He's God. God cannot, God cannot die. God is spirit. Jesus, his body died on the cross, his humanity, his human nature. And so what Jesus Christ did in his spirit, and that's what St. Paul's talking about here. Eddie, you remember the movie Troy with Achilles? Brad Pitt played the movie. He played uh, Achilles in the movie Troy. Okay? It's an old movie. It's a war movie where they fight. Uh, they fight. Uh, uh, the the uh, Troy fights uh, Prince Hector. I forgot who Prince Hector was representing. And remember Brad Pitt and, and you know Prince Hector and Achilles, they had a, a, a battle in front of both of their soldiers on each, uh, on each sides, and they fought, uh, and, and Brad Pitt or Achilles defeated Prince Hector and killed him. Do you remember what Achilles did right after that? Achilles tied up Prince Hector, he tied his feet, 
And then he started dragging him behind in a chariot. Remember that scene in the movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that was, when you read ancient history, that's what would happen when a conquering king defeated another army. They would take the king that they conquered and they would tie him up in ropes and they would drag him behind the chariot through the streets so people could say, wow, look at the mighty Prince Hector from Troy. Man, look at what Achilles from uh, from from Athens or I think I think Achilles from the Greek uh, Achilles from Athens. Look at what he's just done to Prince Hector. Okay, that's what Saint Paul says Jesus did on the cross in Colossians two fifteen. We can't see it because all we can see is the body of Jesus, his human nature, dead on a cross. His spirit took the demons that were in the cosmos. Jesus threw chains on them and he started dragging them around his the cross. That's the whole theology of Colossians 2.15. And this is why when demons see a crucifix, it's, it's a sign of defeat. They go, that's where we got our butts kicked. That's where Jesus in his spirit threw chains around us and he, and he started parading us around in humiliation. You know who also confirms that story? The Blessed Virgin Mary told Venerable Mary of Agreda in the mystical city of God that her son threw chains on demons and dragged them around and paraded them. What The Blessed Virgin Mary confirms what St. Paul says in Colossians 2.15. This is why it, it's, it would be like a Japanese imperialist, you know, 50 years ago. When they see the statue of Iowa Jima, they go, man, here's where we got our butts kicked by the U.S., man, by the Marines. And they pinned a flag on the Pacific island of Iowa Jima. Here's where we got our butts kicked. And, and, it, and, it, and, and they're like, they're humiliated. That's exactly what happens when a demon looks at a crucifix because they say that's where Jesus, in his, his spirit left his body, then he threw chains on us and he paraded us around like a bunch of prisoners of war and disgrace. That's Colossians 2.15. Once a Catholic understands that, Eddie, they will never see a crucifix the same again. Amen. Good stuff, huh? You're right. Good stuff, that, man. That, that's why St. John Chrysostom called the, the, the crucifix a war memorial. That's exactly why. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll go through that next week, uh, that same chapter. Yeah, we got to hit it hard again. again. All right, brother. Yep, yeah. yeah, good stuff. We'll see you next week. Hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, stick around. Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Who's up next, Rich? Matthew Arnold. Hey. If you like this show, share this show with your friends and evangelize everybody you love. See you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith.